0: Let's talk books. I'm Robin Van Awken, a writer and a teacher. My guest and I want to help you write your own book. We're sharing ideas about inspiration, book publication, and promotion. You can find the episode show notes, a free novel, guides, and tutorials at robinvenawken.com. Enjoy the show. My husband Lance enjoys giving gifts. He finds amazing gifts, imaginative presents with meaning and symbolism. For example, when we purchased our lovely house on the river, he knew we had traded in on our dream to live on a boat and sail far away. Okay, seriously, it was my dream, not his. But he was going along with it for quite a while. So he had given us, in a previous amazing imaginative gift, a ship's bell with the name Tangent which was a name we agreed on when we were newlyweds, that we would name our new boat. So he took our ship's bell, Tangent, and he mounted it on the back of our new house, overlooking the river, so I could sit out on my new deck and pretend I was on the bow of my boat. On the ship's bell, he took two pearls from my wedding gown, and he sewed them to the rope pull of the ship's bell. And these two pearls were supposed to represent the pearls of our life, our children. Another present, a beautiful blue clock that was carved from fossilized coral and dyed the color of the sea. This was an anniversary present, and I think it was like our 35th anniversary, and supposedly coral was the substance that you're supposed to give somebody. Although he always joked with me that, you know, this year it's cardboard. Next year it's aluminum. The year after that, I can't wait. It's rope. So, you know, a lot of humor there. Still another present was an amazing mystery game that came to me each month. It was a puzzle piece that arrived in the mail from a stranger. And I had to solve this mystery by putting the clues together that were sent. That was a lot of fun, and it was dragged on for a nice long time. Today, it's Mother's Day, and he has given me yet another amazing gift. This time, it's a beautiful leather journal and a quill pen with little writing nibs and ink, India ink, to write with. But in addition to that, he gave me a brass stamp and a whole box of different colored sealing wax so that I could put my stamp on letters that I send. Now think about this. You've seen this in movies before. Officials, kings, queens, historically people would use a drop of sealing wax and their own personal stamp to to sign correspondence. And basically people respected the stamp. They would never break the seal. So this stamp from a company called Nostalgic Impressions, carries my logo, my personal logo that he copied and he sent to the company. Now, my logo, if you're not familiar with my website, is an elaborate V and A. These letters are hand-drawn, beautiful elements from the ancient Book of Kells. I use it, along with my first name, Robin, to honor my Celtic, Celtic heritage. Of course, the V and the A stand for Van Auken, which is not necessarily Celtic. My maiden name, Kelly, is the Celtic-Irish equivalent of Smith. But I have been a Van Auken for about four decades now, so I I honor it. This gift for writing and the brass stamp with my seal are a a seldom-used system, almost forgotten, system of communication. And I was so touched by his thoughtfulness that I had to dedicate this episode to the history of writing. So, without further ado, let's learn a little bit about writing. So writing is the accumulated memory of humankind. It consists of drawings and signs and pictures. Now, these have existed for tens of thousands of years. In fact, 22,000 years ago, someone painted in a cave of Lascaux, France pictures hunting horses different kinds of creatures, handprints but these symbols are some of the very earliest forms of communication that we have discovered writing, however are formal symbols they're not random artistic impressions left on a cave wall writing Evolved slowly, and its reasons were much more mundane. Writing began probably in Mesopotamia. This is the land between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. We know it as modern day Iraq. This is where writing began, to the best of our knowledge. These were basically reliable records of accounting. People were counting sacks of grain and head of cattle, but they were also counting something else. Some of the earliest forms of writing consisted of curved figures and lines that represented a cow's face. These were easy to understand. Another extremely early symbol in writing was a V with a gash at the bottom of the V. And this represented a woman, a slave, a basic form of currency. Now, This same symbol with three small mountains in the background meant a female slave that came from far away across the mountains. So you see where the woman in me is a little distressed. Okay, a lot distressed. That early forms of accounting were tallying up female slaves and cattle. But anyway, one of our oldest examples of writing is a tablet from Uruk, which dates to the 4th millennium BC. And it's a lexical text that's arranged in columns, more tallies. Another tablet from Mesopotamia talks about the social structure of Sumeria, a temple at Lagash. And at this temple, it employed 18 bakers, 31 brewers, seven slaves, quite possibly female, and one blacksmith. So early writing was in the form of pictograms. These were simplified drawings to convey an idea. Like I mentioned, a cow's head, a woman's vulva, mountains. So, very early drawings. Around 2900 BC, writing evolved again, and pictograms became angular, straight lines. The curves of the cow head and the mountains disappeared. But this is because people lived in a riverine society, and they started using what was available, soft clay, to make these tablets, and they carved reeds and grasses as a stylus, their quills. And the name of this writing, cuneiform, comes from the Latin word, which means cuneus, or wedge. These symbols were created using a wedge. At one time, Scribes had to memorize more than 600 signs that were in common use. A foot, for example, could mean to walk, to stand, to move, depending upon its context. Eventually, instead of representing an object, the pictogram stood for the sounds that made up the name of the object. This is known as rebus, and it is the keystone of writing. Eventually, the Akkadian people and their language dominated the region, and the Sumerian language, much like Latin, became the language for religious text. You understand how Latin is the religious text for, like, the Catholic Church. This is very similar. So writing evolved from humble beginnings as an accounting system, a system to record spoken languages, and an alternative meaning for communication and thought. Eventually, the ancient Sumerians and the Akkadians, the Babylonians and the Assyrians, they developed correspondence, and they even created a postal service. They had clay tablets that they used as envelopes. The invention of cuneiform allowed people to preserve their hymns, their divinations, their text, and their literature, so stories that had traditionally been oral histories were able to be written down. For example, the Epic of Gilgamesh tells the story of a solar giant. This is a person in their prehistory who was two-thirds of a god and one-third of a man. This epic predates the ancient Greek myths such as Hercules, and it even contains a story about a flood, and this foreshadows the biblical account. The ability to read and write cuneiform was difficult and took time away. It led to a separate caste system of scribes, people who became very, very powerful, because knowing how to write was a privilege and a source of power. Then they started to develop elite schools for scribes. Cuneiform spread throughout the country and into surrounding Mesopotamia, China and Egypt, was also developing their own writing systems. The Egyptian system of writing is hieroglyphs, and the ancient Egyptians believed it was a gift from the god Toth. It literally means writing of the gods, because it's composed of the Greek word "hieros," which means holy, and glufian, to engrave. The earliest known hieroglyphic inscriptions date to the 3rd millennium B.C., But the script is older than that. Hieroglyphs remained unchanged until about 390 AD when Rome invaded and dominated the country, with one exception. There was one change. The number of symbols into the writing system increased from about 700 to 5,000. Imagine being a scribe and having to learn 5,000 different symbols. There's an old ancient story that a scribe or student's ears are on their back because they begin to listen when you beat them. Hieroglyphs were a more complete system of writing, capable of transcribing abstract thought and also records of an entire language. This was partially preserved in the form of the Coptic language. It consists of three types of signs, Pictograms, which are stylized drawings that represent an object or a being, a phonogram, this is the ReBA system, and it has the same or different forms that represent a sound, and then determinatives, signs that indicate a category of objects or beings. History was born with writing because events could be recorded in chronological sequence. Ancient Egyptian literature is filled with diverse and it contains maxims, hymns to gods and kings, historical sagas, adventure stories, love songs, epic poetry, and fables. The most famous Egyptian book is the Book of the Dead, written in hieroglyphs during the 19th dynasty, which translate to basically the 13th century BC. Egyptians also wrote about geography, science, divination, magic, medicine, Pharmacopoeia, cooking, astronomy, and the measuring of time calendars. Their calendar, once based on the moon, became a solar calendar in the third millennium, and it was comprised of 365 and one-quarter days each year. Egyptian scribes also invented the use of papyrus for writing. 5,000 years ago, the use of papyrus was already in use for making ropes, mats, sandals, and sails. But then they decided to cut them into thin strips and superimpose these strips at right angles to form sheets. And they would make a layer of maybe 20 of these sheets and then smooth them and thin them. They used a starch paste and pressure to create this papyrus script. They used black ink for the writing and red ink for the name of gods or titles or headings or the beginning of chapters. Some papyrus rolls are so long they're up to 130 feet. So writing continued to evolve and became a quicker cursive script. One script was used by scribes and priests and it was called the hieratic or sacred. It contained some of the same elements as hieroglyphs. It had pictograms, phonograms, and determinatives. But the second script was quicker, lighter, called Demotic, D-E-M-O-T-I-C, the writing of the people. It became the prevalent script used by the people. It is also the script that was used on the Rosetta Stone, from which was translated the hieroglyphs, Demotic, and the Greek language. The Rosetta Stone enabled modern historians to decipher Egyptian texts However, there is still one writing of the ancients that has not been deciphered. This is from Crete, the island of Crete, which evolved around the second millennium, and today it remains a mystery. There are Cretan hieroglyphs that date to 2100 BC that are still considered undecipherable, and these are found on artifacts of the early Bronze Age during the Minoan era. The corpus of this system is composed of seals and ceilings that are on about 150 documents and archival inscriptions on clay, about 120 documents. There are more than 830 signs and seals and 723 symbols on clay. Maybe someday a computer will be able to decipher this. Meanwhile, a world away, China was developing a writing system about 2000 BC. It was codified around 1500 BC and systemized between 200 BC and AD 200. It remains unchanged today. Cuneiforms and hieroglyphs were replaced by Arabic writing many centuries ago in Egypt and Mesopotamia, yet China keeps its writing system unchanged. The legend of writing in China is traced to an emperor, Huang Che, who lived in the 26th century BC. It is said that he discovered writing after studying the heavenly bodies and objects in nature, especially bird and animal footprints. The history of writing begins with pictograms that became stylized. A shared feature between cuneiform, hieroglyphs, and Chinese writing is that all three could be used to transcribe words or syllables. An alphabet, however, functions differently. 3,000 years ago, the alphabet was invented, its roots in the Phoenician history and the people who gradually spread across the Mediterranean to Greece, Italy, North Africa, and southern Spain. Speaking of, I do have about 3% of my ancestry from that region. So with an alphabet, You should be able to write anything with about 30 signs. Arabic and Latin scripts lie behind many of these alphabets. We use 26 signs in English, which isn't enough. Think about this. When you were a child and you were learning to read, there were some words that just didn't sound the way you were spelling them out but consider that there are 1,000 of these in Chinese, hundreds in the Egyptian hieroglyphs, and 600 of these signs in Mesopotamia, in cuneiform. So it's really not that difficult for us to learn our ABCs, considering there's only 26. The reason why a short alphabet was needed is so that ordinary people could learn how to read and write. So the book I'm looking at is called Writing, the Story of Alphabets and Scripts. And it's a wonderful little book. I've had it for about 15, 20 years, and I love to page through it. I love to look at the different stories and synopses and histories. The section I'm looking at right now talks about the alphabet and the fact that the alphabet was so important for people and how it spread so rapidly. One of the biggest reasons why the alphabet spread so rapidly was because in A.D. 622, Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, fled from Mecca and until tek- he took refuge in Medina. This date marks the beginning of the Hegera, that is, the Muslim era. According to tradition, the first text of the Muslim holy book, the Koran, was dictated to Muhammad by Allah, and then transcribed into Arabic script about 650 A.D. The use of the Arabic script was even more widespread than the spoken word. So the Koran in the Bibles, the very word writing, takes on religious connotations. When Christians speak of the scriptures, which literally means writings, they are, of course, referring to their holy books. In the same way, even the writing of the Koran is the writing of Allah, just as the hieroglyphs were the writing of the gods in the eyes of the ancient Egyptians. The words were to be revered, whether or not they could be read or understood. Even today, in Quranic schools in parts of Asia and Africa, where other languages are spoken, the Quran is still studied in the original Arabic. Over the centuries, Arab calligraphy produced masterful creations of an extraordinary variety. As with Hebrew, Arabic is written and read from right to left and the vowels are not necessarily transcribed. The alphabet consists of 18 letters, which, when combined with their various marks and accents used to indicate vowels, comprise 29. In the cursive script, the letters are joined together. The true quality of the Arabic script, however, lies in its ability to take on an infinite form. The Muslim religion forbids representation of the face of Allah, or that of the prophet Muhammad, and in certain sects of any human beings. Thus, calligraphy has become the basic decorative element in mosques and on all monuments. It forms the basis of an elaborate and imaginative ornamental art and has engendered a remarkable range of styles and concepts. So along with their civilization, the Romans left us their language, Latin, and with it their writing system five centuries after the fall of the Roman Empire, Charlemagne proclaimed Christianity the heir of Roman civilization. He set to work to revive a knowledge and a culture that had been on the point of disappearing. In the Middle Ages, a form of sacred writing became established in the monasteries. Beautifully designed and executed, it reflected the serenity of both those who created it and the setting in which they worked. For centuries, any Gaul or Briton who could write wrote Latin, and when Christianity began to spread, the writing and copying of texts continued to be carried on in Latin. More than a thousand years of writing skills were virtually the monopoly of monks, monks like the ones who created the Book of Kells. Very few lay individuals mastered the art of writing. Charlemagne, the most powerful man in Western Europe at the time, was illiterate. He assigned royal commands with a cross, which he inserted into the loops of the signature prepared for him by a scribe. Unlike the Mesopotamian and Egyptian scribes, the monks who were trained as copyists in Europe in the Middle Ages were neither creative writers nor men of power. They wrote, but they did not compose. The creative aspects of their work lay in a different area, that of calligraphy. Particularly, From the time of Charlemagne on, they raised the writing of letters to the level of an art form. They created these exquisite illuminated manuscripts, meaning literally written by hand, decorated with beautiful handwriting and ornament, which were to become the very first books. The early scribes, for example, who copied biblical texts, wrote on rolls of papyrus called volumen in Latin, but these weren't ideal. They needed something different. The introduction of a new medium called parchment was to alter the art of writing completely. Parchment appears to have originated at Pergamon in Asia Minor. The word parchment comes from the Greek word pergamine, meaning skin from Pergamon. In the 2nd century BC, Egypt had refused to supply its rival Pergamon with pyrus that was essential for writing. So the scribes of Asia Minor had to resort to an alternative medium, which was leather. In fact, it would seem that animal skin had been used at earlier dates by the Egyptians themselves, but it was too expensive. And when papyrus became too expensive, they had to go back to using skin. Parchment is usually made from sheepskin, calfskin, or goatskin, although gazelle, antelope, and even ostrich skins have been used. Sheepskin and calfskin have one advantage over the others – both sides can be written on. Vellum is a high quality parchment made by using the skins of either very young calves or even stillborn animals. Its name comes from the old French word vellum, meaning calf. Its principal quality is that it does not soak up ink or paint and it preserves colors. So once parchment was bound together, a book was born. If a monastery could not find a skilled artist for a specific task among its own community, it would hire the services of a qualified secular artist. It would also call on the bookbinder, who was responsible for making the leather book cover and the clasp. So towards the end of the 12th century, the quasi-monopoly of the church over teaching began to weaken, and the secular scribes who were collaborating with the monks began to organize themselves into guilds and workshops. They drafted official documents for the new merchant bourgeois, and they also wrote books. Until then, the issuing of books had been the exclusive domain of the nobility and the clergy, luxury works that weren't available for everyone. This output was now expanded with new works. Treaties on philosophy, logic, mathematics, and astronomy all began to appear, while authors such as Dante began to write in their own tongue and reaching a much wider public. For the first time, the middle classes had access to literature and to books. In order to cope with this new demand, the number of scribal workshops increased and the production diversified. From now on, books of all sorts appeared. Cookbooks, educational books, medical manuals, books on astronomy, and even novels. Tales of courtly love, such as The Song of Roland, were sought after. This all led to a natural progression. Guilds and fraternities grew up and became universities. And this is where masterpieces were created. So do you have a masterpiece in you? Do I have a masterpiece in me? I'd like to think so. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep striving every single day, writing and learning and researching new things and sharing what works. I hope you enjoyed the show and that it inspires you to read a good book today. You can find me online at robinvanauken.com. While you're on my site, download my novel, West Wind. It's free. Check out this episode and the show notes at robinvanauken.com. Thank you. And if you haven't done so, please hit that subscribe button on your device. Until next time, goodbye.